Welcome to From the Front Porch, a conversational podcast about books, small business, and life in the South. After all, what was the whole wide world but a place for people to yearn for their heart's impossible desires? For those desires to become entrenched in defiance of logic, plausibility, and even the passage of time, as eternal as polished marble. Richard Russo, Empire Falls. I'm Annie Jones, owner of The Bookshelf, an independent bookstore in beautiful downtown Thomasville, Georgia. And this week, I'm joined by frequent From the Front Porch guest, Hunter McClendon, though you might know him as Shelf by Shelf. If you are a regular listener, you know that one of our main goals has been to grow the show to 10,000 listeners. We are really just about there. Uh, And a lot of that is thanks to everyone who has left a review. Here is one of my favorite recent reviews from Alex. Thursdays are the best now. I look forward to this podcast every week. Even if I choose not to add any title to my TBR list after an episode, a rare occurrence as my tastes are pretty similar with Annie's, just listening to Annie and her guests talk about their reading experiences, what they loved about a particular book, or why they like the written word in general makes me want to make more time for my reading life. Annie and Hunter's deep dive conversations are the best. I love, love, loved their conversation about Cormac McCarthy's The Road. They helped me remember why I love reading so much and also make me want to challenge myself to read outside my usual genres or stick with something that's a little challenging but worthwhile. Well, Alex, you are in for a treat today because that is what today's episode is going to be all about. If you have not left a review, all you have to do is open up the podcast app on your phone, look for From the Front Porch, scroll down until you see Write a Review, and then tell us what you think. Now, back to the show. Hi, Hunter. Hello. Oh, we're back with an episode that we... We are calling this episode series Bookmarked with Annie and Hunter, the artist formerly known as... Backlist Book Club, I think was what we called it. And before (laughs) that, it was Love It or Loathe It. So if you've been around as long as Love It or Loathe It, congratulations. Um, But basically, Hunter and I love to do mini book club. We, I think, I'd like to think we would do it with or without a podcast uh, uh, (laughs) to host these conversations on. Um, But this year and last year, we really have focused on Pulitzer titles, Pulitzer winning titles. So earlier this year, we read Tinkers and discussed it on From the Front Porch. Then we read Interpreter of Maladies, which we discussed on the podcast. And today we are talking about the Pulitzer winning novel Empire Falls by Richard Russo. We wanted listeners to be able to engage with these episodes without feeling like they had to do any homework first. So our goal is that these episodes are accessible, whether you have read the book already or are inspired to read it after listening to our conversation. So we're going to do this spoiler free, though this is a book where there are some spoilery conversations and we're going to save that for the end, kind of like we used to back in the day. Okay, Hunter, what did you think about this one? Had you read this before? I had never read Richard Russo before, and I own, like, almost all of his books because that's just what I do. (laughs) You collect. Yeah, but this was obviously, because I I love to read award-winning books, this is one that's been at the top of my list, and I have, I literally have three copies of Empire Falls and still had not read it. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Do you, you just picked it up? (laughs) You just picked it up at various places? I had a paper, a used, a tattered used paperback copy that I got for a dollar somewhere whenever I was really poor, and then I had a four dollar paperback that I got when I was less poor, and then I had an eight dollar used hardcover that I got when I was medium poor. Okay, look at you, just moving on up. Just, (laughs) Just moving on up in the world. 
Look, if you listened to our episode about interpreter maladies, you will know that we had a different book picked out for this yeah. episode. Um, and that was on purpose. We wanted a thin book. Was it was it an Adam Johnson book? I don't, I don't even remember now. Uh, not, uh, no, it was Dennis Johnson, Train Dreams. Dennis Johnson. Okay, so that was mm-hmm. our original plan. So I'm so sorry. Uh, but we did change the plan because about a month ago, I was answering some questions for some Patreon supporters. And one of the questions that came to my attention was, Annie, what books would you recommend for people who love Gilmore Girls? And so I had like typed up my little list. I had some what I thought were really great recommendations. And then I thought, well, I'm sure the internet has something to say about this. And boy, did the internet have something to say about this. There are all kinds of listicles and articles where lots of different bookstagrammers and book bloggers talk about what you could read if you like Gilmore Girls. And most of the books that I had thought of, I found them on one list or another. But one list came up and mentioned Empire Falls, which I was not familiar with. And I thought it kind of came up as like a more literary option. So a lot of the books being recommended were rom-coms or maybe more commercial lit or women's fiction. And so I thought, well, this looks interesting. And so I special ordered it through the bookshelf. And I was at Barnes & Noble one day because book lovers love books no matter where they are. And so I was at Barnes & Noble and I flipped, they had a copy of Empire Falls and I flipped it open and I thought, oh no. I'm not going to be able to do this. Like the print was really tiny. I do not know what your one, four and $8 editions look like, but uh, the paperback that I read from the print is super tiny. The margins are small Mm -hmm. and italics everywhere, italics everywhere. And I'm not a scientist, but I do feel like there is scientific evidence that it is hard to read italicized font Mm -hmm. and to use it for as something other than, Uh, you know, emphasis feels aggressive to me. And so I thought, well, there's no way I'm going to be able to read this book. So I like put it on the shelf at Barnes Noble. Then my copy came in and I started it and I loved it. And I was surprised by that because again, on the longer side, it is not particularly plot driven that we're going to talk about that. Um, It took me probably a full week to finish. And I'd love to know if your reading experience was different from mine. It may have been. But but I enjoyed it over a period of several days, which is unusual for me. I'm typically a binger. And even the italicized parts by the end, I was like, sure, sure. (laughs) This makes sense. I mean, I would change that personally. If I was reprinting this novel, I would make adjustments um, for the for the reader. But that was kind of what led me to the book. And then I finished it and I thought I have to talk about this with somebody and and the somebody that I frequently think of is Hunter. And so I'm pretty sure I texted you immediately and was like, have you read this? Can we change? Can we change our <laughs> yeah. podcast episode? Would you be willing to read this? So tell me what your initial thoughts were just about like structure and finding the book and finally picking it up. And did you feel the same as I did about italics? It's so yeah, because like what, it, aren't like the first, I feel like maybe, maybe I'm exaggerating, but it felt like the first like... The, the entire prologue, the entire prologue is... Oh, it is long. Yeah, the entire prologue, which is... Hold on. Uh, which is 16 pages, is italicized. Okay. I, I was about to, like, double that because it felt <laughs> like... Because the book does feel like... And it, this is not a bad thing, but it does feel long yes. when you're reading Agreed. it. Let me tell you something. An italicized 16-page prologue, I was like, for real? Okay. Okay, that's exactly what I thought. I thought, what? And I, let me tell you something. I have never felt like such a plebe. I was like, wow, I am too dumb for this. Like, why has this, why has this author, I was about to say no. Like, I can't, well, and I did. I put it back at Barnes & Noble when it came in from the bookshelf. I was like, I'm not doing this. Um, It was so 
um, it felt like such an intense way to start a book that was supposed to give me Gilmore Girls vibes, you know? Yes, absolutely. And it's so funny, too, because, like, I started reading it. And the thing is, I understand why they say Gilmore Girls, because this is truly so much of this is a portrait of a, of a place, right? And it really, you really are immersed in this world. But I'm not typically, I'm not typically as invested in those kind of books. But I, even at, just after the prologue, I was like, like, I was like begrudgingly, like three pages in, I was like, okay, I guess I'm reading this italicized work. <laughs> and, and then by the end, I was like, oh, okay, well, I guess I'll keep going. And yeah, yeah. And, and it's, and it does, it charms you. It's, it's a very charming book. Yes. I, so it's so funny. My reading experience was so very similar because I'm, I, I love a solo reading lunch. Highly recommend mm-hmm. if you're ever feeling like you cannot handle the world or anything in it. Um, so I was sitting at my favorite restaurant in Tallahassee and I thought I'm going to use this lunch and I'm going to read this prologue. And then I'm going to decide as a reader if this is for me or not. Um, like it was going to be kind of like my make or break. And it was great mm-hmm. because I had the whole lunch I had devoted. I was like, don't leave this table until you've read this prologue. And I was weirdly hooked. And and let me be clear. So if you're not familiar with Empire Falls, this book is about um, a man named uh, Miles Roby. And he lives in this town of Empire Falls. I believe it's Maine, right? Empire mm-hmm. Falls, Maine. And Miles runs the Empire Falls Diner. Um, the book is really almost almost a look at like a year in the life or it is, it takes place over several spans, several months in the life of this small town in the life of this man. Who's kind of the center of the town. Certainly the Gilmore girls comparisons come from the fact that miles is very much a Luke Danes type of character. He's recently or, or still in the process of getting divorced. He has a young daughter named tick. So it, yeah, it's all about this kind of quirky cast of characters and the, the prologue is a little bit of the history. You think the book is about Miles and Uh the book is where you start the book and it's about the Whiting family and Mm -hmm. the history, essentially the history of this family in Empire Falls and the impact this very wealthy family has had. It's almost like while reading Richard Russo has like put a veil and like slowly chapter by chapter is lifting the veil um, because you start, and I became very invested in the Whiting family story. And I was like, okay, uh-huh. this I am centered in this. I understand where we are. And then the book opens, you know, chapter one opens, and it's not about the Whiting family at all. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and you're a little bit like, wait, but why did I just put in all this work? Um, and maybe, this is a question I had for later, but I'll go ahead and bring it up now. Maybe it's because you and I, we're going to talk about it forever and ever until our deathbeds. <laughs> but we just finished Bleak House by Charles uh-huh. Dickens. And maybe, I'll say this, I wonder if Bleak House stretched my reading muscles enough so that when I opened Empire Falls and there's this wide cast of characters and it's about one family, but then actually it's about two other families. I wonder if honestly Dickens prepared me for that and made me more amenable to this book. Do you, do you feel similarly? Uh, Yeah, actually it's so funny you say that because I, you know, you and I have talked a lot about Bleak House and what that, what that, what it looks like as a work, as a, as an overall novel and everything. And I was going to say, when I was reading Empire Falls, something I thought a lot about actually is how uh, we've strayed so far from this type of novel. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like we don't really see this kind of book happening. And um, in the same way that I don't, you know, I don't think that we see books like Bleak House really ha- happen anymore. Um, in some ways that's, I think for the better, some ways it's for the worse. Cause, but because I do think I, I was reading Empire Falls and I was like, golly, like I understand why it won the Pulitzer because it's, it's such a, a, a fully realized novel that's doing so many interesting things 
so many things. I kept thinking about it the whole time. I, I thought about it, obviously, as a reader, but I also kind of felt about it, uh, uh, thought about it as a writer. And uh -huh. I thought, I cannot believe it was one of those books where I thought, and I, this is my only book by Richard Russo that I've ever read. I think I would like to read more. Um, but this this felt genius level to me where yeah. so many things are happening and there are so many parts. And I thought, did he have an outline? Like I kept wondering, mm -hmm. how did he do this? Because I am very, you know this, uh, uh, because you're my friend. Like I am very invested in a book about a place. Um, I love books about a specific place. I love quiet novels. This book is an extremely quiet novel where you just are kind of like following Richard Russo and wondering, where are you going to go, buddy? Like, where are you going to take Miles? Where, yeah. where are you going to take us? Um, and yeah. I I just was so deeply invested. And this book, I, I loved that you said this because it's absolutely true. The book feels long. I did not finish this and think, wow, like I, I could have read so much more. No, the book felt long, um, but it also felt like exactly the right length and exactly, it felt like exactly the story he set out to tell. Oh, I think it's very smartly paced. Mm -hmm. And the thing, it's so interesting, right? Because like talking about um, doing that comparison to Bleak House, I, I, I feel like I've talked a lot about this both on the podcast and just one-on-one -on -one with you, but I always feel like every book I read is is truly preparing me for other books in the world. Mm. Um, I, I, I constantly think, and I, and I think that like uh, that's the reward you get for reading really widely is that it helps you to really embrace everything uh, as it comes. And so, and some frustrations with a book like Bleak House that draws things out a little bit more, a little bit longer than I would like, or having an, even like a really short book that I read like two different books recently mm -hmm. uh, that were like less than 200 pages, but they kind of felt a little bit too brisk for me. Uh, to where they kind of lost their staying power. And so I think that's the thing mm -hmm. is that this book, it's not so slow that you're like, oh my gosh, like pick it up. But it's also not so fast that it's forgetful. Am I wrong in thinking, I mean, I have some comp titles. We, we always do this, I think, or we've done this in past episodes. Like almost immediately after this, I read a book, um, a Europa title that came out this year called The Road to Dalton. It was recommended to me by some podcast listeners, actually. And it was uh -huh. fantastic. Oh my gosh, I loved it so much. And it's very much, if you like Empire Falls or if you like the, the types of stories we're talking about, I think you'll love that book. But the other book that comes to mind, and I would love to know it, your gut reaction, Weirdly, The Goldfinch came to my mind. Yes, uh, absolutely. And, yeah. and I don't know if that's because, again, of the length and the pacing, like, and Donna Tartt is doing so many different things in that novel, um, but somehow they all work together. And that's, that was another book that I felt similarly about. <laughs> it's so funny because the goldfinch is often referred to as being very Dickensian, right? Yes. Yes. Oh my gosh. I didn't even do that on purpose. <laughs> This to me is where it gets really exciting when we talk about like the landscape of literature as a whole and how all works are intentionally or unintentionally informing each other. And I think that, um, mm -hmm. I, yeah, I, I completely see that. That, And I think that's, uh, I also think that's a lot of Pulitzer because they both won the Pulitzer. And I think that a lot of times, specifically for like American literature, we're, we, we tend to be really drawn to these sprawling, um, almost like, when it's funny, right? Because like this book does not really have a, this book does not really have a, a strong plot. It's really a very like, um, episode. I don't even, I don't even know if episodic is the right word, but it's just, there's just like these like clumps of things that are happening. Kind of. Yeah. And a little bit vignette-esque. Yes. Yes. But it's funny, but, but with that, but it's still tethered enough, right? Like there's still enough. Yes. Yes. 
everything totally makes sense. I mean, that's one thing I wanted us to talk about was was about the structure. So we've talked about, you know, the prologue being this mm-hmm. kind of italicized history piece of the, the history of this town, essentially. But there are other italicized chapters throughout the book that, again, I was a little bit like, oh, is this going to take me out of the rhythm? Is this going to distract me? Mm-hmm. And there are flashbacks. Um, you know, you get to know Miles and his, um, there's a really... I think I will remember this this plot piece, this storyline for a very long time. So Miles um, lives in a small town. His brother has come back home. You know, their mother wanted more, especially for Miles. And he thinks back and we get to see uh, he he loves Martha's Vineyard. Like, and we realize uh-huh. that that's because his mother took him to Martha's Vineyard as like a summer vacation. I do not believe this is a spoiler. I'll, I'll be as generic as possible. But basically, Miles goes with his mother without their father, without his father, without her mm-hmm. husband, to Martha's Vineyard. And he thinks it's because his dad's a drunk. His dad isn't around very much. And he has this really, this really fond memory of this week spent at the vineyard with his mom. And then like a mysterious man shows up and takes his mom out to dinner. And you as an adult reader are like, Miles. <laughs> Miles, we all know where this is going, Um, Mm -hmm. where perhaps maybe his mother had a romantic relationship that Miles didn't know about. And I, the scene, how Richard Russo like painted that picture and painted that trip, I was so incredibly invested. And that's what I mean by Mm -hmm. vignette, because that is a part, that is outside what is happening at Empire Falls. That is outside of what's happening with the characters. But it, but it so much points to who Miles is and who he has become. And you totally Mm -hmm. know why Richard Russo included this really important vignette and little look into Miles' history. I thought it was brilliant. That, that's a great example of, I don't know if you've seen the, this whole thing about like film critics and how there's this, like the film bros who are very into the Marvel thing, which is fine, but it's funny because mm-hmm. they're always like, they'll they'll talk about how like, well, that scene didn't serve any purpose, so it should be cut kind of thing. Uh, yes. And and how sometimes there are scenes, is, is it really moving the plot forward? Maybe not necessarily in any relevant way, not in any big, major, important way, but it is telling you so much about Mm -hmm. this character, these people, this world, whatever, you know, like the, it tells you a lot about how people perceive certain uh, actions morally and everything. Like there's just, it's, it's, that's the thing though. Like sometimes it's like uh, something doesn't have to serve a plot purpose to serve a greater Mm -hmm. purpose in the ideas that you're exploring. And, and I'd like to be clear because frequently on this podcast, I talk about how, I, I believe my phrase that I use the most often is I wish this book had had an editor or I wish this book had been edited down. Like I say that all the time. I don't know if it's, I think it could, that could be attributed to a lot of things. I don't know if it's like my journalism background where it's like, keep it tight. Uh, yeah. Or if it's my own, you know, lack of attention span, like, um, you know what I mean? I think it could be for all kinds of different reasons. But what I want to say about empire falls is everything mattered. Mm-hmm. And, and I was invested in this was long form storytelling. Like this was not, you had to trust Richard Russo. Like, okay, where are you going with this weird chapter that feels out of place? Oh, I see. Like you really had Mm -hmm. to trust. And I'm afraid that the way I'm describing it makes it sound like it was a challenging read. It wasn't. I like, I really loved it. I I found it quite easy to follow and to become invested. Yeah, I I don't know. I can't think of another book like this other than the titles were kind of 
we're kind of talking around where an author has been given the room to be sprawling. And I think by giving him room, he's he was able to create something pretty brilliant. Also, really funny, as a little side note, I told someone, somebody on Bookstagram asked me what I was reading whenever I was reading this. And I was like, oh, I'm reading Empire Falls. And they were like, and I went, ugh. Oh, interesting. And I was like, oh, I was like, I'm really enjoying it. And she said, um, she said, I hate it. She said that she felt like it told and didn't show. And she also said hmm. that, which I don't necessarily agree. I think that, I think it like shows and tells, but I think it's intentional. I think yes. it's part of the style choice. I don't really think it's like a, yeah. and I don't think that's bad. Uh, I think we have this, idea, I think we've all been trained to like, be like, ooh, like it's like, it's bad yeah. if it's like explaining something. But I'm like, no, no, no. I think, I think both, both sometimes can actually really be helpful and mm-hmm. it's fine. Um, but she also said, she goes, it's just, there's so much misogyny. Oh my gosh. Is there misogyny? Did I miss it? Okay. So here's the thing. <laughs> here's what I think it is. I don't, I don't think it's, I'm going to go out on a limb and say that I think there is misogyny, but I don't think it's unintentional. Okay. Because I think that this is telling a story so, so like somebody criticized how because the what is the what the ex-wife's name is like janine yes I think and right. they were criticizing how um she becomes this like this terrible person after she loses all this weight yes um miles's ex-wife and so like so and how basically uh things like that like how like most all of the women i think except for tick and one other one they were uh she said were, those are the only two that were treated well oh interesting and but i also felt like i so i made the i asked i said well do you think that most of the men are treated i, I think they're also kind of like uh yeah they're not great yeah but that's the thing though i don't think that any i don't think that most of the people in this book are great people and i kind of like that right even Miles, who's our kind of guide through the story, and and again, if we're talk, if we're going back to the Gilmore Girls at all, really, truly, he reminds me so much of Luke Danes. And as much as I love Luke Danes, as much as I love Gilmore Girls, Luke Danes right. is not a perfect character. He is not like the perfect romantic mm-hmm. ideal or something like that. He's incredibly gruff. He um, has interesting views and relationships. And I think Miles is certainly supposed to be our. He is supposed to be who we see Empire falls through his eyes. Mm -hmm. We see the town through his eyes. But he also is flawed. Like, his marriage has fallen apart. Yes. Even though his wife is maybe who had extramarital affairs. Like, you can see that Miles had his Mm -hmm. own issues. Um, And, you know, looking back, which this is interesting because we've talked about this as it relates to Dickens. Like, his female characters, can Dickens write a woman? Like, that constant kind of debate, I think, that comes up. And um, I could see, I can definitely see that critique um, because this is Miles' book. The women mm-hmm. are side characters. So are the other side, so are the other male side characters. Mm-hmm. Um, but Miles' mother-in-law, right. whose name escapes me at this moment, and maybe that is a problem, Tick, and even Mrs. Whiting, these are not, or Grace, uh, Miles' mom i would argue what these are Uh it reminds me of how the women are in east of eden where these are just complicated people and it's not just the women like uh miles's dad um miles's dad is a drunk uh guy there's a really memorable priest character of course I'm, i'm interested in the priest character father mark um and then there's like a an elderly priest with dementia there is gosh there's this uh school teacher character like they're all different characters and all of them 
I don't know how he did it, but they're incredibly well-rounded and interesting to me. I would push back probably a little bit on the misogyny critique. Um, I don't think it's entirely wrong. I just think all of the characters are a little bit flawed. So this is like a two-pronged question. But like one, I wanted to ask, do you think that sometimes when we see a man writing women that we just don't really consider the way that he's writing about men. And so like, maybe there's like a little bit more of the focus to see if he's getting the women right. And so maybe there's like a possible, I, I think about that, but also if you think about the time this was written, I would also love to know if women who were reading this at that point, if they also found it as misogynistic, maybe because right. I think a lot about the culture at large, because like you think about something like, like if you watch old episodes of America's next top model, <laughs> or if you, or if you read even a lot of, listen, I'll read books or, Gilmore Girls, mm-hmm. written Amy Sherman, you know, like it, the amount of fat phobia in that show is oh excessive. Yes, and so I think that like so I under, I recognize the, these criticisms. I'm not trying to negate them or say that they're not valid criticisms, criticisms, but I do think that when we consider the it's not it's not that long ago this book was written, but also the culture has changed so much in such a short time, so drastically. It was published in 2001, I believe. Y- yes. And like, that's like a significant little chunk. Yes. And so I do wonder, I wonder if people in the, in that point in time were thinking the same things. Uh, and so I don't know, like, so those are the, some of the things that go through my head. And I'm not trying to say that, like, you know, like, I think it's just really easy to have these critiques with our current lens. Yes. Well, and which we always talk about on the podcast mm-hmm. and then in our own personal conversations, it's just something that comes up frequently. Yeah. Um, the, the, first question that you asked, I do think, I mean, I, as a woman reader, certainly when I start a book, you know, if I start a book and think, oh, hmm. And then like, I flip to the cover and see that a man wrote it. Like I have frequently noticed and actually think there's some really great uh, male writers who write women really well. It's super annoying. Uh, J. Ryan Stradell comes to mind. Um, But sometimes I will think, wow, this this character, this woman character uh, is super moralistic or um, the way that this writer writes about her is so sexualized. And it will frequently be because it's a male, I assume, because it's a male writer. And so I think for this story, Janine is such a, like if Gilmore Girls belongs to Lorelai and Rory, Empire Falls belongs to Miles. And so it wasn't so much that I felt like, oh, Richard Russo doesn't know how to write women because I actually think Tick is pretty interesting. Um, But I just don't think it's theirs. The book doesn't belong to them. And I'm okay with that. The book belongs to Miles and it belongs to the town. It belongs to the place. Um, But that is a fascinating. Also, sometimes when I hear critiques, I'm like, oh, my gosh, like, like I didn't even, you know, the the things that you don't pick up on as a reader. So Janine, part of her story, and this perhaps is worth investigating a little further, but part of her story is that she has left uh, Miles. I think Miles is a pretty passive man. I think that's part of his his flaw. Mm -hmm. Um, And so she marries this kind of annoying or she's engaged to this super annoying like gym owner. I just I felt like (laughs) he was such (laughs) he was such a character that could have appeared in like a show like Gilmore Girls, where it feels like the characters are a little Uh bit caricatures. And so anyway, and she loses a bunch of weight and becomes a pretty irritating she is a pretty irritating flawed character i think the fact that miles's father is also irritating um i think we're supposed to like david who is miles's brother but i find i found him a little fresh they're all Mm -hmm. frustrating but they're also incredibly familiar i mean i think 
I think that's one of the questions I wanted to present to you is um, early in the book, um, there's this quote that says, one of the good things about small towns, Miles' mother had always maintained, was that they accommodated just about everyone. And um, I loved that quote. And I also pushed up against it a little bit. Uh, I wanted to know, did you think that's an accurate description of Empire Falls? And then what about small towns in general? Um, Because one of my favorite parts of the book was, yeah, we probably need to investigate some of the fat phobia surrounding Janine's character, some of perhaps the misogynistic treatment of some of the women characters. Um, but also all of the characters are me- messy. You love mess. These are messy characters. They're also characters I feel like I know deeply. So just the idea of the characters as a whole, I, I think that they're all very complicated. And I like going back to the idea of, I don't know if I would label most of them as likable, um, but I do think that uh, Richard Russo has this ability to write so tenderly about like people who you're just like very frustrated by mm-hmm. um while while not while not like negating him, like that they're like really annoying people do you know what i mean right. like he doesn't take away from that like he's like they're annoying they're also human yeah even mrs whiting who is like this town kind of matriarch i almost pictured her as um oh my gosh i pictured her as mr potter in uh it's a wonderful life like Mm -hmm. she's this very moneyed um stingy powerful woman who runs the town and like the town only exists because of her wealth um but also she has like miles dangling by a threat like you know she she runs the restaurant but won't or owns the restaurant but won't sell it to him like um just kind of this stingy character and she is supposed to be villainous it would seem and yet even she is actually really interesting like i i did not find her as villainous as maybe I mean, she is a villain, but also not. Like, she's really interesting. Right. Yeah. Well, and that's, it's so funny. I don't know. I, um, of course, all these things are worth interrogating. And, and to be clear, I don't want to act like I'm uh, discounting any criticisms. I re- I'm really just like, every time that something like this is brought up to me, I'm so curious, especially if I, if I, one, if I don't personally pick up on it, then I'm like, I'm like, mm-hmm. oh, like, well, let me reflect. Right. Um, that deserves some investigation. Yeah. And also like asking, like truly ask myself, like, I, it's like, I'm not like, I, I don't know. I don't ever want it, want it to seem like I'm like not really considering these things, but, um, mm-hmm. but I, but going back to your question about, um, do I think, what do, do I think small towns accommodate everyone? Yeah. Which I just think is an interesting point. Okay, it's really interesting, right? Because like I, I don't, I don't feel like Tallahassee is a big town, mm-hmm. but it's a lot bigger than uh, Thomasville. Yes, but I will say Thomasville, much smaller town, was more accommodating to me than Tallahassee. Oh, this is fascinating. Yeah, so I'm really curious if there's like a ratio, if there's like a certain like number of people versus like <laughs> sl- like mile radius. Like, you know, so this, so I grew up in Tallahassee. Now I live in Thomasville. When I saw that quote, like my gut reaction was immediately like, small towns don't accommodate everybody. Like, what are you talking about? Like, uh, small towns can be intense. They can, um, you know, and I think also this is coming from a place of my, (laughs) this is certainly coming from my personal experience, which is I'm not from a small town. I moved to a small town. And I think that's Mm -hmm. a different thing. But then I started to think about this idea that, and and perhaps this happens in your marriage as well. Um, But in your marriage or in your relationships, we're like, you're allowed to critique your family, but nobody else is. Yes. 
And the moment, and you can just sense it, like the moment that maybe I've made a, a comment about Jordan's family, and then maybe Jordan makes a comment about my family, and I'm immediately like, excuse me, what? Like, I'm allowed to say that about <laughs> my, my insert family member's name here, but you're not. And I wonder... Small towns are just a larger look at the family. And so I do think small towns do take care of their own. Yes. And are willing to overlook the sins of their own and are willing to mm-hmm. to make room or accommodate their own. Mm-hmm. Um, and you can see that in Empire Falls, like the fact that, I mean, I named so many flawed characters, but like the annoying uh, the annoying guy who owns a gym and he like comes to the restaurant every day and you know some people like move seats when he comes in but like they stay at the restaurant and they still will talk to him and I thought that is very small town like yeah maybe that guy's annoying but whatever we're used to him he's ours like and you know the priest with the with dementia that town is still like, I mean, yes, he has dementia, but he's still our priest. Like, or Miles's dad, who by all accounts is pretty um, down on his luck, uh, maybe a little bit lazy, maybe has a drinking problem, whatever, but he's still theirs. He still belongs to Empire Falls. And so, yeah, so I, I kept coming back to the idea of of how small towns are like families. And maybe maybe that's what Richard Russo's characters are saying. Well, it's actually really funny because it also reminded me of my mom and I used to, uh, we used to work at a gas station and a liquor store that were connected uh, in this really small town that like truly only had like a grocery store and a tiny library and then like a hardware store Um, and then three gas stations. But we worked at one of the gas stations and the the liquor store. And it's so funny because I do think that um, if you ever work at a gas station slash liquor store, you pretty much run into everyone who is in that town if it's small (laughs) enough. And, um, but even talking about this idea of, accept, you know, we had, there were, we, this is awful, we, we knew who the alcoholics were and we mm-hmm. knew, and, and we knew which ones were the ones to be weary of and which ones were the ones to, um, <laughs> to like, we love the ones who like, who were like, oh yeah, I'm just throwing this really big party this weekend. That's why I'm buying 11 <laughs> bottles of wine. Don't mind me. And it's like, wow, I had no idea that you had so many parties like every weekend. <laughs> Um, but it's just really interesting, but, but like, you know, we didn't really judge that, but we thought it was, we just kind of laughed at it because it's like, it's part of the routine. Like you, you know, you see the same people who you're like, it's not even us. It's like you get past your, your anxiety or fear of, of the people who are different than you or who are whatever. And then it just becomes part of like the scenery. Yes. Yeah. It's just, and it's just part of, I love how you put that. It's just part of your routine. Yeah. Um, so these, these people and how they behave or what they say. Um, and I, and I talk about this a lot. I think about this a lot, just in terms of when you live in a place and you're, you actually, um, we just, as we're recording this, we're coming off local elections. And one of my favorite Thomasville pastimes is the History Center's Chicken Perlo dinner, which takes place on election night. And I love, not only do I love Chicken Perlo, but I love the concept of after you go cast your vote, um, now you've got to go eat Chicken Perlo next to somebody who might have voted differently from you. Because, hey, guess what? Joke's on you. We all live here together. Like, And <laughs> yeah. so there is like this almost forced proximity mm-hmm. that makes, um, you know, I think small towns really do have this reputation of being less accommodating. And mm-hmm. I think it's interesting to hear your perspective as somebody who left a small town. And of course, you know, Tallahassee is not the big city, but it is comparatively speaking. Yes. And, and, and you found it ever so slightly less accommodating. I think that's interesting. Well, 
also something else I wanted to, it, it's funny because I've, I've been thinking, thinking a lot about how talking about interrogate, interrogating, um, cause, cause yes, this book and Gilmore girls does kind of explore the, like, the, like it's exploring like the lives of characters and like, and they, and they, it does give them a lot of depth and interest and stuff. But at the same time, there is a little bit of a, um, there's like a stopping point to, or it's almost like, um, I'm trying to think about the best way to describe it, but like they are a little bit, um, what is it? I'm not stock characters, but, but that's not the wrong, that's not the right word, but like, it's almost like when you live in a small town and you're so used to it, you don't really like investigate. You don't really dive that deep into it at a certain point. So like people do just kind of fit into their little mold and you don't really like go much further than that. Right. Which I think I personally, that is sometimes one of the challenges of living in a small town is I think in a small town, you're pretty content, probably so you can keep living at peace with one another. <laughs> like you're pretty content to yeah. let things be pretty shallow. Like, yeah. um, b- because we want to keep being in relationship with each other. And if we dig too mm-hmm. deep, we might hurt each other. So it, if that's what you're saying, that is, I would agree with that. Yes. I think in Empire Falls, it's a little bit different because like this is a book where it is exploring the lives of all these people. But I do also think that if there is any criticism about out, uh, some lack of depth in some of these things. I think it just comes down to if you think about Gilmore Girls and you think about um, all the different all the different people who uh, run have the dance studio and the neighbors and all these people who like they're like you know they're like comic relief, but they're not that deep. But the truth is, is that that is how these small towns are. You're not going that deep with some of these people because they're just part of your day to day. But they're but they're not your they're not your your people. But Yes. Yeah. Well, yeah. And I, I feel that way as somebody, and I'm, I'm not being self-deprecating here. I'm, I'm telling the truth, which is I'm the town bookseller. Right. Um, and, and so, so is the bookshelf staff, but we talk about this. Oh my gosh. I think about this all the time when a beloved customer of ours dies, we don't know mm-hmm. until a couple of months go by. And I maybe will say to Olivia, Hey, what, Hey, have you seen so-and-so? And Olivia might say, no, I haven't. And then I go Google mm-hmm. and I find an obituary. And that is a very humbling experience to realize I am just a side character yes. in these people's stories. Mm-hmm. Like I am just, I'm just the bookseller who they visit every week, every couple of weeks. Um, and you just realize so many of your relationships when you live a, in a small town are, um, and and I'm somebody who naturally gravitates towards deeper relationships. Mm-hmm. And so it's been a real, it's been really interesting to discover what um, gratification can come from more shallow relationships. Mm-hmm. And I forget, they have a word for this. It's come up a lot, especially in light of the pandemic. And like when you lose somebody that you only vaguely know, um, I, I wish I, but it's some, maybe, mm, I don't know. It, there's a term for this kind of grief. And that is something I think about all the time because yeah. I am somebody's Miss Patty. Do you know what I yeah. mean? Like maybe, maybe less sexual, but like I am, I am somebody's Miss Patty. Yeah. Like I, there, these kids who grew up in, in Thomasville aren't really going to know anything about me except, well, I read them stories before and that's it. And that's okay. It is kind of a little bit like the parasocial relationships that like, Yes. Right? Like that she's about with celebrities and stuff. It's like, it is along that same line, I think. Um, It's not, I think it's not quite as intense because like, you're not like, like, you know, no one, no one's investing in us the way they invest in like, you know, Bradgelina. Right. Um, Right. You know, but, but like, but I do think that, uh, I don't know. It's, it's, it's almost like whenever, it's almost like whenever um, 
so like in Thomasville, they they changed the one of the roads that the road that enters from Tallahassee to Thomasville. They changed it, and there's like a little roundabout thing now. Oh yes, yes. And let me tell you something. That little change, you'd think, oh, not significant. When I first came back to town and it had been a little, and I thought, oh wait, what is this? My whole my whole life has changed. The world is over. I like I like I kind of cried for a second because I was like, oh, I was like, like you kind of have to. It's kind of like whenever uh you know there's like people write about this all the time about how like you, you can never go home again, and it's like yeah, it's because things are always like th- things are never the same. I want us to move in to because we will have to wrap up soon, but I want to talk about the ending. So the I there are gonna be some spoilery things yeah. here. So fast forward, maybe give us five minutes, um, which mm-hmm. maybe seems excessive, but I wanna give us time to talk about this ending. <laughs> and I wanna start with this yeah. quote uh from page four forty one. Um, when Tick is looking back on the last year, Tick is Miles' daughter, Miles and Janine's daughter. Um, and she says, just because things happen slow doesn't mean you'll be ready for them. If they happen fast, you'd be alert for all kinds of suddenness. And then, so part of the reason I want to start this conversation about the ending with that quote is because one of the reasons this book is not a five-star read for me is because it felt like with one quarter of the book left to go, mm-hmm. all of a sudden, throughout the book, we have, and maybe this is genius, and maybe it is worth five stars. Maybe I've got to rethink this. But basically, throughout the book, we've we've been seeing Tick in certain vignettes, and she's getting to know uh-huh. this young guy um, who's in her art class at school. Um, she has her own friendships, her own dramas. It's very much, it's very high school. Um, yes. And I liked that storyline. I was like, oh, this is interesting. Yeah. Like, we're learning about Tick. And then truly with a quarter ish left in the book, there is a school shooting, like an, like an extreme act of violence. And I, I flipped, it caused me to look at the release date of this book because I was like, Oh, is this of, is this of, of its time? Like, is this in a post Columbine landscape? Uh, Because, because Jordan and I had been thinking about that. We've been listening to the audiobook Columbine because we were out in Colorado a couple weeks ago. And so that was on my brain. And so I was like, oh my gosh, like, is this because in 2001, this is what we were thinking about? But it felt, it felt so out of place to me. And and this quote from Tick later, I did think to myself, well, was Richard Russo like quietly, like slowly laying the groundwork for this, this whole time? Um, but it felt... I felt very taken out of my experience, my reading experience. And I'm curious how you felt. Let me tell you, I... It's so funny because, you know, uh, there's another book that came out last year. I won't say the title of it, but there's a book that has a shooting that happens, that a very popular book that you loved, that I liked, but I'd read it after the hype. It was a big hyped book. I don't, I don't want to spoil it for any, it was, it was a book by the, it was a book by the author of Young Jane Young. Oh, yes. Oh, yeah. Okay. And there's like, and there's a shooting. And, and I was, and I think, listen, I'm not going to lie. Like, I don't know what this is about me. Anytime that there is there is like a shooting in a book and it's, and that's not what the book is, is about. Has been pitched as. Yeah. Yeah. Then I'm like, ah, don't do it. Don't do it. And so, and, and the thing is, right. Like it's hard because I'm like, on the one hand, that is how it would feel. Yes. If, if it was happening, that's a re- that, that that's a very realistic way to depict it. Yeah. Um, but also I'm like, I don't know if I, 
<laughs> I don't know. I can't decide how I felt because because again, it felt realistic uh, mm-hmm. in that in that it was shocking. Um, I think especially shocking because we've loved this small town, um, and so when things happen in a small town that you think a, a town like this is protected from something like this from an act of violence like this, um, and so I thought, well, this is very realistic and weirdly, you know, sadly in 2023, just as timely as it would have yeah. been in 2001. Um, but I, I also felt very distracted by it. Like I, I felt yeah. like, well, now wait a minute, there's no, and I'm, and part of the reason I want to protect people from spoilers from this, from this relatively old book, um, is just because there's no indication anywhere, not on the mm-hmm. back of the book, not, you know, a right. lot of books will say, I feel like I've read this phrase over and over again, a shocking act of violence startles a small town. Like there is no indication uh-huh that that is going to happen in this book. Um, And so I was startled and I still can't decide, like to this day, I read this about a month ago. I cannot decide if it was a slow, um, quiet, like brilliant thing to do to have this thing or if it was distracting and took away from everything else going on in the plot. Like I certainly could have done without it. I'll say that. I I feel like it could have been a complete book without it. I know. I'm very... I, I, I'm not going to lie. I actually thought after after that happened and when I first finished the book, I thought, I actually thought the same thing you did. I was like, was this like, do I need to reread this just to like see yeah. if there's any underlying threads that I like was not. That you missed. It well, it almost kind of reminds me. There's the, there's those commercials about like the depressed friend and the happy friend, and the commercial ends with the happy friend gone because <laughs> the happy friend's the one who who died by suicide. Um, that's kind of like I was like, is this one of those things where I'm like, I, you know, the, it's a misdirect? Yes, like you've been like, looking over here, you've been looking yeah. over here, and and it's ticks for like, and you're very as a reader. I mean, it was it was startling, um, yes. and and all of us, I think, are. Um, all of us, I think, are on alert and like it was upsetting. It was upsetting because mm-hmm. I think if I think if you are an American, uh, this is, you know, this could happen at any time. And so I found it deeply disturbing for that reason. And it felt like, yeah, it felt like I hadn't seen it coming um, for Tick and I thought we were just tick was at high school trying to f- make friends and figure life out. And it became something, it became something really different. And, and the book ends and, and I think wraps up in a really beautiful way, ultimately like um, tick and miles really rely upon one another. Um, they leave town, like the whole, this was interesting to me, just like the whole idea of miles refused to leave. And then this is the thing that kind of causes him to move. And then he comes back. Like, it's yeah. really interesting. It's a lot about how you get stuck in a small town and how you uh-huh. leave a small town. Um, but I can't decide I don't know. I can't decide if it ruined it for me, if it ruined a five-star book. I still loved this. I really did love this book, yeah. but but I can't decide if it ruined it for me or if it's an act of brilliance that I don't just, I just don't quite understand. I know, but that's, but honestly, it's so funny because I, I will, I do think that the book that I mentioned before kind of, I thought, oh, okay, so this is, this is just how they're doing it. Okay. Um, yeah, I need to, I like now I need, I don't know. I, I do actually want to reread it just to, for that one reason alone. Okay, so we talk about the Pulitzer, like who else was up for the award in this particular year. Um, I think it won the award in 2002. Um, uh-huh. And I'm curious how you think it compared. I, You know, I don't think it's shocking that this is a Pulitzer winner. 
I, as a reader, am very attracted to Pulitzer winners. I like a quiet book. I like a character-driven book. I like a book about place. It ticks all those boxes for me. Um, We read Tinkers earlier this year, and it felt very in line with Tinkers. Just wondering how this compared with some of the other books up for that year. So I actually have not read the other two books. However, the other two books that were, the two books that were finalists were um, by major writers. One was John Henry Days by Colson Whitehead. Oh, wow. Um, And the other one was the National Book Award winner of the previous year, which was The Corrections by Jonathan Franzen. Oh, wow. Big, heavy hitters that year. Yeah. Uh, Which also, two big old books. uh, Yeah. Yeah, like, uh, and the corrections is like about like the nuclear family, I think. So it's like, oh, really interesting. I, I mean, I think critics love this book. You know, it's it's very funny to read a New York, a New York Times critic talking about blue collar America, like. <laughs> Um, But I think people really, I think critics really felt like Richard Russo captured the, you know, the tone and the, and the depiction of small town blue collar life. Um, And I don't disagree. I mean, I think he, I, I do think he did that um, very well, but that seemed to be the consensus from critics that year is that like, this is an American novel. Which if you really consider where America was at at the time, this probably was like the most like American experience that people were having, I guess. So it's well, and yeah, cause it, it's a lot about, um, it's a, a little bit about gentrification, a lot about like small town, America dying, small towns, um, industry, how industry impacts workers, workers rights. Like you get a lot of that stuff in here actually. Um, all about, you know, the factory that closes and what happens to all of those jobs and, um, and and again, very sadly, uh, in 2023, a lot of those things are still extremely relevant to the American landscape and to mm-hmm. the American experience. And so as much as I wonder if the ending took away from some of the story, I can't deny certainly he has written an encapsulation of the American experience. I'll also say very much the white American experience. Uh, I, you know, if we're if we're talking critiques, that's certainly certainly one that we probably could have even discussed more. But um, yeah, the white American small town blue collar experience, I think, is definitely portrayed mm-hmm. in this book. I really I really liked it. Um, I've got some some things I'm still kind of pondering, but I think you put it really well earlier in the episode when you said um, it, it's not a book that's going you're going to forget. Like it's not forgettable. Like I I do yeah. think I'll remember this book for a long time. So you think you'll probably read more of his work? I think I would like to read more of his work. I'm very curious about the chances books. Like there's just uh-huh. so many of them. Um, but I will say I also looked up like some of his backlist because I thought, well, where could I start? And the first book. Um, in that chance series. I can't remember which one it is. Maybe it's chances are or something like that. But the first one, which was written before this one is like, I think the main character is Sully. He's a recently divorced dad in small town, Maine. And so I was like, okay, so, so is Richard, this is what's always interesting about a writer's trajectory to me. Like I read Empire Falls and I think, oh my gosh, this is brilliant. Like it won the Pulitzer. Um, unlike Tinkers, which kind of came out of nowhere, like this is something where I'm like, oh, maybe this is the book that Richard Russo was building toward. And maybe a lot of his work revolves around these same themes. I don't know. I I am curious and I will, I think I will try some of his other work. Oh yeah. I am glad. I'm, I'm very glad that you texted me and said like, let's read this because I, I I just had been not picking it up for the longest time. And I don't, I don't even know if I would have 
picked it up for another couple of years if you hadn't encouraged that. So like, I'm, I'm grateful for that. I'm glad too. I, I don't think it's one that would have been on my radar were it not for this random uh, yeah. book, book, <laughs> book blogger. So um, yeah, I'm grateful for the Gilmore Girls comp, which I think maybe doesn't necessarily, uh, it's certainly not Gilmore Girls-esque in tone. Uh, there's right. no fast-paced Amy Sherman Palladino stuff yeah. happening here. Um, but I think in the spirit of the thing, uh, that that yes. is a true comparison. And and I, I really did enjoy my reading experience. I also thought it was a great fall book. So if you're looking for oh, a yeah. fall autumnal read to kind of close out the year, I do think this would be a good one. 100%. This week, What I'm Reading is brought to you by Visit Thomasville. Fall is a wonderful time to visit Thomasville, Georgia. If it's time to hit the road for a quick getaway, we are exactly what you're looking for. You can rekindle your spark, explore historical sites, indulge in dining out, shop at amazing independent stores, and finally, relax and unwind. There's no better getaway than Thomasville. Whether you live close by or are just passing through, we hope you'll visit beautiful Thomasville, Georgia. It's worth the trip. Plan your visit at thomasvillega.com. Coming up, the downtown Thomasville is getting ready for the holiday season. The holidays are pretty much here. They are upon us. On Sunday, November 19th, we are having our downtown holiday open house. So it's not just the bookshelf. That's all of downtown Thomasville. So if you're looking for a time to come check out um, the holiday decor, the festive atmosphere, the great gifts that you can buy at locally owned and independently owned stores, I think that would be such a fun day to visit. It's a little bit lower key than Victorian Christmas. I think I've said that in years past and it still is true and it's a great time to come up for the day like come up for the Sunday afternoon go to lunch go to brunch and then shop and head back home I think it would just be a fun time to visit Thomasville this week I'm reading Dolls of Our Lives by Mary Mahoney and Allison Horrocks Hunter what are you reading? I'm reading Hawk Mountain by Connor Habib thank you again to our sponsor Visit Thomasville don't forget to plan your next visit at thomasvillega.com From the Front Porch is a weekly podcast production of The Bookshelf, an independent bookstore in Thomasville, Georgia. You can follow The Bookshelf's daily happenings on Instagram at bookshelftville, and all the books from today's episode can be purchased online through our store website, bookshelfthomasville.com. A full transcript of today's podcast episode can be found at fromthefrontporchpodcast.com. Special thanks to Studio D Podcast Production for production of From the Front Porch and for our theme music, which sets the perfect warm and friendly tone for our Thursday conversations. Our executive producers of today's episode are Cammie Tidwell, Chantal Carl, Kate O'Connell, Kristen May, Linda Lee Drost, Martha, Stacey Lau, Chanta Combs, Stephanie Dean, Ashley Farrell, Nicole Marcy, Wendy Jenkins, Lori Johnson, Susan Eulings. Thank you all for your support of From the Front Porch. If you'd like to support From the Front Porch, please leave a review on Apple Podcasts. Your input helps us make the show even better and helps us reach new listeners. All you have to do is open up the podcast app on your phone, look for From the Front Porch, scroll down until you see Write a Review and tell us what you think. Or if you're so inclined, support us over on Patreon, where we have three levels of support. Each level has an amazing number of benefits like bonus content, access to live events, discounts, and giveaways. Just go to patreon.com forward slash from the front porch. We're so grateful for you and we look forward to meeting back here next week.